That was some fancy plan over there, Andrew. <laughs> I leaned over and asked Andy where the plug was, just so you know, by the way. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> well, our scripture this morning is an epistle lesson. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. Hear now these words. Therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said When he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children, tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. I have a question for you this morning. Uh, So often I'll ask you uh, uh, to think about something, or I'll even ask you a question, and and I'll encourage you to call it out, and you certainly are welcome to do that. But this one's probably more of a ponder uh, inside your own mind kind of a question. And and, and it is this. As you think back upon uh, your life's journey so far, who is it that you would say was worthy who would, would, would you say, they lived a worthy life? Now, it doesn't mean that they've passed away. It could be someone who is still living. You'd say, wow, that person, they sure lived a worthy life. I think about that. I could think of a few folks in my life that I would name that way. I'm not sure they would name themselves that way but I would name them. A a dear friend of mine who has passed away, um, a clergy person who meant the world to me, Dorothea Maloney. Some of you may know Thea or have known Thea. Uh, Just a special person who uh, just brought so much love to my life, 
so much encouragement, uh, especially as I was starting off in ministry. And she lived this beautiful, grace-filled life. She lived a worthy life, no doubt about it. Who can you think of that has lived a worthy life? The scripture this morning talks with us a little bit about that. Live a worthy life. This is a scripture, as you know, it's an epistle lesson. Of course, those little letters uh, that are in the New Testament. This one in particular, written to the church at Ephesus. And that was uh, an ancient town. Uh, Actually, it was a port city. And there are still well-preserved parts of Ephesus, which is in in now uh, that Turkey region in the Mediterranean, if you've ever been there. Uh, Very interesting. The city was once considered the most important Greek city. Wow, the most important Greek city. And the reason why was its location. It was an important trading region in the Mediterranean. And so uh, it, it, was, it was really kind of the happening place. And so the author of this letter to the church at Ephesus is, uh, is thought to be Paul. But um, as with so many other things, scholars have argued about this. But let's just say for the case of argument today, we will name this as Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. And Paul spent much time of his letters writing from where? Does anybody remember? Yeah, from prison. Paul spent a lot of these letters. He was writing from prison. And and doesn't that beg the question, at least it does to me, why was Paul in prison? Kind of wonder that, don't? I mean, here we, we certainly learn a lot about Paul and from Paul in the scriptures, I'd like to know why he was in prison and understand that a little more fully. We won't get completely into the background of Paul today, but uh, certainly we know that in the book of Acts, we have a little more information about that. Uh, We know that for at least two years, Paul was in um, a home prison. So he was homebound and was not allowed to leave. And, And a lot of the letters we have are from that time period in his life. And, and, and then we ask ourselves yet again, why? Why was he there? So let me give you a little bit of a, uh, just a, a quote for that. He was in the prison, at least while in Rome, for disturbing the city of Philippi and for advocating customs that are not lawful for the Romans to adopt or observe. Oh, how horrible. <laughs> but in that time frame that would have been worthy of prison. So that's why he was there, because he stirred the pot. Hmm, interesting, isn't it? He stirred the pot. He actually, though, (coughs) pardon me, described himself as a prisoner. Not just a prisoner of Nero, but a prisoner of the Lord. I, a prisoner of the Lord, he said. The original word in Greek is desmios. It means one who is bound or linked to someone else, a captive of someone. He said, I am a captive of the Lord. I belong to the Lord. 
so powerful. And he starts off this little section of scripture that we're looking to saying two words. Two words. I find it uh, to be a bit of an awkward sentence, uh, at least the translation itself. Uh, I, I find it just to be, it doesn't flow very well as far as sentences go. I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, he says, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling in which you have been called. I, I think that that's a bit redundant, right? The word call and calling twice, but it actually emphasizes that word for us. And so we look at it and we realize it's important to hear it. There's a focus on that word, call. We want to live lives worthy of the call. So those of us who are clergy are very familiar with that phrase, our call. And we have a few clergy here with us, certainly retired clergy, and, and my good friend Andy, who uh, obviously serves as one of our pastors, and myself, we could easily uh, just tell you our call story, because you know what? When you go through the process of becoming ordained in the United Methodist Church, we have to say it a lot. We've repeated it over and over and over again. So it's very easy to tell our call stories. Let's see, I see Bill Hunter. Bill, I bet same thing, right? You've told your call stories plenty of times. Mark, call story, right? I saw Lowell Headley, right? It's, it's for all of us. Did I, any other clergy sitting in here? I think I got most of our clergy in here. Oh, Beth, is Beth up with the camera still? Beth Aiello is now working on her uh, becoming clergy. Yeah. We're so used to this language, our call story, that we sometimes forget that there's more to that term. So for us, call actually means a Christian vocation, meaning our, our jobs. This is our choice of career. And, and it ties into how God called us into ministry. And, and if I were to tell you my entire call story, we would be here much longer than you want to be. But we would also, you would hear how God called me and how I felt that sense of call in my life and in my journey. And that's why I chose the vocation that I chose. But do you know, before that even happened, I was called to follow Jesus. I was called to be a Christian. That's really the origin of my call. And you were called to. We all have a call to follow Jesus. So it's not just the clergy who are sitting here who, are, uh, who need to be worthy of our calls, but it's all of us who are called to follow Jesus. Be worthy of our calls. What does a worthy life look like? What does a worthy life look like? Well, I suspect it depends on how we decide to define the word worthy. What does a worthy life look like to you? The scripture this morning actually helps us define this just a little bit, at least in this scenario that Paul is talking about. And it actually encompasses just two words. Just two words. Are you ready for the two words that we can, that, that helps us really define that this morning? Unity 
and maturity. That's how we are worthy of the call. Unity and maturity. First of all, we'll unpack that just a little bit. The first portion of the scripture says this, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Live a life of unity. Now, does unity mean that we all agree with everything? No, 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 not at all. Unity does not believe that we are all going to agree with everything all the time. Unity is that we take the time to hear one another. And as the scripture says, we offer grace to one another. And we walk in peace with one another. And we care for one another in loving, gentle ways. Unity. Unity, Christian unity. The second term we hear in this scripture is maturity. Christian maturity. And it's not only age-based. It doesn't mean when we pass a certain age, okay, now we've hit maturity. And we're all set. I know it is kind of laughable, isn't it? It sure is. The scripture says this, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ, we must no longer be like children tossed to and fro. We must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together with every ligament with it, which it is equipped, we are to be built up in love. Unity and Christian maturity. How do we grow in Christian maturity, friends? Part of it is time. But a big part of it is spending the time we have wisely. Learning more about our faith, learning more about Jesus and how Jesus encouraged us to live our lives, studying those scriptures, connecting with one another in our faith. We grow in Christian maturity, unity and maturity. Let me illustrate that in one more way that might be helpful for you. Recently, or or within the last few years, there's been a term that's been tossed around that um, is, is kind of a shift of thinking of terms. Uh, and let me just ask you first, and then I will define for you. Uh, I, I thought I had it right the first time, but I saw my son shaking his head no, that I had gotten it wrong the first time. So I corrected myself because he's the 16-year-old and he would know better. So, um, and I actually mean that in this situation. So who knows what the term snowflakes is? Who knows what the term, like the derogatory term, snowflakes? Yeah, some of you do. Some of you get that, right? Yes, you do. I'm so glad. Caleb will be so proud of all of you. So, um, <laughs> so 
here's, I'm going to give you the actual correct term and not put it in my paraphrased words, because apparently I don't get it quite yet. So Snowflake is, uh, it actually originated in, in around 2010 or so, in case you were wondering. It's a slang term. It's a slang term for a person implying that they have an inflated sense of uniqueness, an unwarranted sense of entitlement, or are overly emotional, easily offended, and unable to deal with opposing oppositions, right? O opposing opinions. Such a snowflake, right? Such a snowflake. Now, do you understand? Yes, right? You're snowflake. I certainly have never called anybody that. I really have never done that. But yeah, so, so that term snowflake, uh, I, I find that rather humorous. So I'm going to say this to you, that um, I want to use the term snowflake today, uh, but maybe not in that, in that way. Because for me, when I think of snowflakes, I think of the uniqueness and the beauty of the snow. And, and, and which is partially what this term comes from, and truly the fragility of a snowflake. I, I, I love that first snow. Don't you love that first snow? I know we hate it, like after the how many different times it happens, but that first one, when we first see those flakes, oh, it's so beautiful and so unique, and, and we just love seeing that flake you know, melt on our skin. Snowflakes are unique, and you are unique and precious, wonderfully made. Snowflake. And isn't it amazing how when snow joins together with other snow, it can almost become formidable. It's, it's, you can have horrible snowstorms, and, and horrible things can happen, right? But wonderful things can happen, too as the snow bands together and we build amazing snowmen and we have snowball fights and all those things that happen with snow. We join together as one, all of those snowflakes becoming one unit. What about grains of sand? All those grains of sand, individually, very interesting, all together, beautiful beach. We sung the song, One Bread, One Body, about Christian unity. We are all so different, but also wonderfully made. And as we come together, our unity is incredibly beautiful, so significant. And that is how folks know that God is loved, by watching us in our unity. Unity and Christian maturity. And so I say this to you today, continue on the Christian journey, oh faithful ones, continue on. Live lives that are worthy of our calling to follow Jesus. We are on a journey. We don't think that because we heard this today, we'll snap out of our ways that are less than worthy. And we will immediately drop all those things that we uh, probably shouldn't have picked up in the beginning. But we do know that as we learn and as we grow, our faith matures. So continue on this faithful Christian journey. Grow, mature, be worthy of the calling, following Jesus. Live in unity and maturity in our faith. 
Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.